do enjoy Samuel. He is a man that is devoted to God from childhood. Uh, he hears the voice uh, from God calling him Samuel, Samuel. And uh, he was so young, he didn't quite grasp that that was actually God calling him. Can you imagine? I know I became a Christian as a little guy. I don't know if I had an audible voice, but I follow the same kind of track. And uh, then when you realize that Samuel grew up and he spoke out for God all the days of his life, he was a part of the church community. Um, <laughs> I was the first baby in my dad's church. Uh, they built it when I was six months old. And so we moved from downtown Baltimore City over there to, uh, to shall we say, to Parkville area. And I grew up in the church. And I just make all these parallels. But the, the closest parallel that I run into is when Samuel became uh, uh, an older man. And when Samuel had to deal with a transition, he was transitioning from the way it was to the way it was going to be. And we see this in chapter 8. It really is a fascinating story. And so I want you to reverently attend to the public reading of God's inerrant, infallible words. Uh, We're going to be looking at chapter 8 Uh, And and the key text is going to be verse 6, but I'm going to start at the beginning of the chapter. So we'll be looking at verses 1 through 9. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel. The name of the second was Abijah. And they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and they perverted justice. I'm hoping all the parallels aren't there. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But this displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day. Forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. O Lord, I pray that you'll take this simple passage, this narrative, and help us to see some things that we did not see before. I pray this in Jesus' beloved name. Amen. Now, if you're following along with me, you're going to now know a little bit of the story. But my focus of this text is verse 6, when it says, But the thing displeased him. The thing displeased him. Wow. What a great text. Honest, transparent, genuine, real, aware. He is oh so discerning. (sighs) This does kind of fit what happens during the election cycle. A lot of people are displeased. You know, this idea of not being content or not being satisfied with the status quo, not just being, you know, whatever and let it go. But when you actually get stirred up, 
when you actually have a nerve that's, that's, that's itch or that's twinged, where you get frustrated, when you get displeased. This guy was in this no-spin zone. He was a person who was not a pie-in-the-sky kind of guy. This is a, somebody who was actually dealing with life. He was addressing reality. Wow. He wasn't just sticking his head in the sand. Samuel was displeased. And by the way, this is not a bad guy. This is not a prodigal son character. This is not some legalistic Pharisee that you find in the New Testament or the proverbial redheaded stepchild. This is God's handpicked guy from his childhood. You would have thought that God would be with him and he would be happy with all of God's will being revealed. But it displeased Samuel. Today's text solicit some soul-searching on your part and mine, challenging real people to look afresh at your motivations, looking at what's really going on in your soul. Do you have one of those fake smiles on because it's Sunday? You know, you put it on with your nice clothes? Or are you real? And if you're really displeased at something, why? And what do you do about it? Do you just start to join the, jump, the, the grumbling campaign? Or do you get up and do something about it? Or, or you, I want to be able to show you how somebody legitimately who knows God handled displeasure. Leading up to the national call of thanksgiving, we've been also called not just to give thanks, but to give confessions, adorations, and, and, uh, and also adorations and, and prayers of, of supplication. Praying is emphasized. And that's really why I'm picking up this text. Last week we started with Hannah, which happened to be Samuel's mother. And then today we're going to Samuel. And next week we're going to be looking at Eli. Now, the whole point about the connections on this is that I'm trying to show you kind of the generational stuff, but I'm also trying to show you the linkage to a conversation with God. When when last week we talked about uh, Hannah... Hannah, she talked with God, and we talked about the prayer of praise, the thanksgiving she had, and it was summarized by Hannah has a big God that she prayed to. Today, I'm not going to be focusing so much on how big God is, but I want to be able to focus on why Samuel prayed. Why was he a praying man? Okay, and if you're following along and you're taking notes to be able to explain it, I want you to see the experience of praying, the essence of praying, and the effects of praying. And you'll see this unfold in the text in just a few moments. Hannah had an experience in prayer, and so did her son. So in point one, when you look at this text in verse six, the key text, but Samuel was displeased, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said to him, give us a king to judge us. And do you see what happened next? Help me out. What did Samuel do? Okay, the experience of prayer was not something foreign to him. His mom had prayed and now he's praying. Praying is what you do when you're displeased. In 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1, we find out that, that the, uh, the idea that Hannah had just, well, did she just casually pray? No. If you knew the history of Hannah, you're going to know that she was continuing in prayer, verse 12, and that she was speaking from her heart. Her lips were moving and her voice was not heard. And the preacher man there was looking and saying, are you drunk? 
She was so invested and so entranced in talking with God. Literally talking to God. It's beautiful when you think about what, what do you say when you talk with God? What's the experience look like? I just want to walk you through a few of those words. When Hannah was excited at answer to prayer, which we hope to have, especially at Thanksgiving time. In chapter 2, verses, uh, I'll just do the first uh, five verses. Hannah prays, and these are what came out of her mouth. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. So we should talk no more proudly. Let not arrogance come from our mouths. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. This is the kind of training that I think little Samuel was influenced when mommy came to visit him at the church. Because you remember when when this child, Samuel, was raised, once he was weaned, he became somebody that lived at the church compound and ministered before the Lord all of his life. His mom would come routinely and bring him the clothes and bring him different things, and I think she shared with him some of this praying spirit. Because when we look at Samuel, when he was displeased, he started to pray. And if you remember, praying is an offering up of what? of our desires to God for things agreeable to his will. This is the neat thing about prayer. You just don't have to pray what's on the prayer card. You're free as a Christian to pray what's on your heart. By the way, confidentiality is pretty good with God. He usually doesn't tell other people what you're talking to him about. You can tell him anything. You can tell him everything. You can tell him about the details about what's going on because, by the way, he already knows. Nothing is hid from God. Prayer is pretty awesome. And when Samuel ends up experiencing prayer, when he exercises his ability to talk with Yahweh, he does this. And that's what he does. I've been laughing at some of the Geico commercials. I might even be switching companies. So as I was paying attention to it, uh, I kind of laughed at some of their marketing. You know, they have some recent cartoon or recent ones. They said, if you're a couple... Uh, They said, uh, you fight over directions. You remember they have Tarzan? That's just what you do. He says, if if you have alligator arms, you don't pick up the check. That's just what you do. When you're a parrot, you repeat things. That's just what you do. You know, when the pirate is saying some things that were not complimentary, it's pretty good. Uh, They had a few others. If you're a golf commentator, you whisper. And then they have a dragon that comes up and eats people and they whisper, describing the dragon coming. If you are someone, uh, if you want someone to leave you alone, you pretend you're sleeping. Remember they got Sleeping Beauty that wants to watch the TV? But the last one that's been pretty popular is if you taste something bad, you want somebody else to try it with the raccoons. It's pretty foul. But that's just what you do. My point to you is this. If you are a Christian, you pray. That's just what you do. And if you're not praying, then the question might be is, are you a Christian? 
Now, the second point is not about the experience of praying, where you would take that sweet hour of prayer that calls me from this world of care and bids me into my Father's throne to make all my wants and wishes known in seasons of distress and grief. My soul often will find relief and oft escaped the tempter's snare by thy return, sweet hour of prayer. Are you a praying man? Are you a praying woman? Do you have a conversation with God about things? Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. Always be talking with the Lord. Always. You shouldn't be able to say, well, I only pray before my meals three times a day. Oh, yeah, and I pray before I go to bed. You know, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord of my soul to keep guide me through the starry night. Wake me when the sun shines bright. God bless mommy and daddy in Jesus' name. Amen. I think that's the first prayer I memorized. Still know it. Still good. Do you talk to God? Do you talk to God? Point number two is the essence of praying. It's what's going on in the inside. I told you that Samuel was displeased and he prays. So that's what I want to be able to focus on. Last, time I, last Sunday, we focused on Hannah and the wonder of what was going on in her soul when she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. She was so excited at answers to prayer. But if you look back, you're going to find out that before she was so excited about answered prayer, she was also very distressed because of unanswered prayer. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 1, verse 10, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord, and she wept bitterly. Now, I don't know about you, but she sounds like she was displeased, too. She didn't have an easy time of it, being made fun of, having a difficult, difficult experience. I'm telling you, I don't envy her. But Samuel is facing another dilemma. And I guess because you can see it in the older generation, then you see it in the next generation, what do you expect is going to come in the next? More of the same. We live in a fallen world where there is sin and misery, where there's misunderstanding and miscommunication, where people are prone to do what's right in their own eyes instead of obedience to the revealed will of God. Samuel tells us in this text that he was displeased that he was wounded in his heart. And because he had a wounded heart, he prayed. But I wanted to show you what the wounds of his heart were. They were in relation to his clan, his culture, and his calling. And so let me explain it to you real easy. His clan, his family. He was wounded because his family was a mess. And some of you know exactly why this, this pain hurts so deep down inside. In chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, we, we learn about Samuel's sons, and we're excited that he had sons. But then we're saddened because his sons weren't saints. These guys knew church. They knew their way around things. They actually grew up with the church too, just like Samuel did. But they didn't grow up in a relationship with God. They knew about God but they didn't know God. Does that describe you? Does that describe your clan? Or do they not even know about God? The Bible tells us that these guys, Joel and Abijah, they ended up trying to assume positions of leadership because they could, and they even went down to the southern part of Beersheba, which is way, way, way down in the Judean hills. Uh, Ramah is up just a little north of, of Bethlehem. So they went way down there to get away from dad, and they could live their life. And what did they do when they did their stuff? They got jobs where they could live off the fat of the land. No, 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 no. They got jobs where they could sneak away some of the profits for the church. 
If you look at what they did, they, took, they, took, they turned aside after gain. They took bribes and they perverted justice. These guys did not follow in their dad's footsteps. And this displeased Samuel. How sad it is to watch kids go on a path that leads astray. We have several of our kids going to camp today. Some of them that are going, I don't think I've ever met or ever heard the gospel clearly. So exciting. But there's a lot of people from the rising generation, just like the ones who are going to get these boxes, who have never heard. And they're following their own understanding, just like Joel and Abijah. How sad it was that they were willing to take bribes to be able to give the justice that people wanted. It was a pay-to-play scheme. Nothing new under the sun. They did not focus on God. They focused on their own gain. Eat, drink, and be merry. Today is all we have. And that's what they did. And if you, if you break it down to what they used to do is when people used to bring the big sacrifices to the, to the places of worship, guess what happened? Joel and Abijah would get the best parts. These guys were not probably very skinny. We don't know about them, but they had excess because they were interested in gain instead of in God. And that's really pitiful. And this is one of the reasons why Samuel had to be in prayer because his clan was a mess. Secondly, if you look at the text beginning in verse 3, it it not only says that his sons didn't walk in the right path, but then in verse 4, we see the big frustrations with his culture, with the people that are around him. Samuel has all of the elders of Israel. It's like a presbytery meeting. All of these guys come together and they they meet him at Ramah. And now Ramah is his hometown. This is where Samuel was the most comfortable. He was on his local stuff. I mean, all the elders are coming to meet him. You'd think this would be a party day. But what they said to him stirred his soul. Samuel, you're old. I guess that really hurts too. Samuel, your sons, they're not like you. Samuel, we want something different. We want you to give it all up and appoint for us a new leader. This guy is going to be like the leaders that other people have, a king. And the text says, appoint for us a king who will do what you do. Since you're old and you're kind of past tense because, you know, we're moving on, we want something better and we want something bigger. And it was in this cultural reality that Samuel immediately says he's displeased. I told you all of these displeasures are interconnected. If his sons had walked in his way, then his sons would have been following in his footsteps and judging Israel properly, focused on God rather than gain. But because they weren't, now the people around him are saying, we need something better than what this is because we don't like it. We're grumbling and complaining. It's miserable. And when they said, give us a king to judge us, it's repeated at the end, right before the words that Samuel prayed. If you could have been in Samuel's shoes, your whole life you've given to trying to make things better. You have sacrificed. In other words, this is life. It's not really a sacrifice. You can't even imagine anything else. 
And when you understand Samuel, he says, we're a theocracy. We are following God. We're not doing what we want to do. We're doing what he wants us to do, just like the Lord's Prayer, which hadn't been given. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what Samuel wanted. That was his longing and his desire. And now the people are saying, we don't want, we don't want what we have. We want something different. This is why I tell you Samuel is a transition character. The last of the prophets transitioning to the monarchy. It displeased him. Why did it displease him? What was so upsetting in this is, uh, and it takes me to the, uh, the frustration with his calling. You know, he's frustrated with his clan, with his culture, now his calling. What's he supposed to do about this? The thing displeased Samuel. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And, he, and the uh, scripture comes back and he tells us that God spoke to him. And God said, hey, this is what you're called to do. And he said, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. Now, I don't know about you, but this is even harder to take than even having the elders come around you and tell you that they have a different plan than what you have. When God himself tells you, listen to the people, give them what they want. (sighs) That's so hard. Now, as a parent, when you have the cutest little kid in the world, and Tracy and I got to babysit the 10-month-old little Liana last night, sometimes you want to give her anything so she doesn't cry. You know, we, we as parents are prone to want to give them whatever they want, uh, especially if you're grandparents. I think you just kick into that mode faster. But, but God, does God give us what we want? This is one of the few times in Scripture where this is coming. And this is why it displeased Samuel, because Samuel didn't even like what God told him. God's saying, this is what they want. They want a king. Give them a king. Obey their voice. Now, I don't know about you, but this is real testing of your faith. If you could be in the man of God's shoes, it's not supposed to be this way. It's not. But he's talking to God, and the beautiful thing in this conversation, God is talking back to him. And he says, look, remember the big God that your mom has? I'm still a big God. And that's why when I'm looking at this, at this sermon to wrap it up, we've, we've talked about the essence of prayer, and I want to talk about the effects of praying. The effects of praying. That prayer does make a difference that we observe, first of all, that the lifting up of a peasant into a prominence, that when Hannah prayed, she was a nobody, and now we all know her by her first name. A lot of people we don't know. Hannah, the barren, now is the blessed. She not only had one son after praying, but she got multiple children, a promised child and more. She also was, God gave her, God, God gave one with faith more fidelity. This gal who was trusting God even in her despair and her sad moments, now she trusts God even more, and God is giving Hannah great faith. God gave the insignificant one status. Wow. Prayer does change things. It's transformational. That was happening in Hannah now with, with Eli, excuse me, with, with Samuel. Today we observe that folly that was rewarded. God actually gave these foolish people's request. He gave into it and said, give them what they want. 
And then you also see that frustration is revealed, that, that grief and, and dis, um, shall I say, displeasure. These things were real. They're going on. How does God turn this around into good? When the foundation was being poured for something new. Now, if I can unpack that for you, there was folly that turned into frustration that ended up being the very foundation that God worked it together for good. We all can finish Romans 8.28, but do we believe it? R.C. Sproul used to say that there's no maverick molecules in the universe. How big's a molecule? That if God is sovereign, he's sovereign over everything, and there's nothing that can come into your world that hasn't first passed his approval. Our big God engages this, this, the displeased souls in society. And I want to conclude coming to the Lord's table by telling you this. I told you that there was folly, foolishness. And that foolishness led to the man of God being frustrated, displeased. But I also told you there was a third point, right? That this was the very foundation for something bigger. Now, Samuel understood it, but it was hard for him to get. I don't know if you understand it, so let me explain it to you this way. They were living in a theocracy where God was in charge and he delegated it through different judges that would rule for a period. And they had a cycle, sin, servitude, supplication. Then they would have salvation and back to silence and then sin, servitude, supplication. They had this cycle. Every time it happened, happened, happened. It took years to get through all the different cycles. And God's judgment would come upon their sin and that's why they would have crying out to God for deliverance. This is going on and on and on and on and on and it had to stop. And the way that it stopped was that Samuel's sons didn't follow in his dad's footsteps. And it followed that the people said, what are we going to do? So they said, let's be like everybody else. And in both instances, bad plus bad equals more bad usually. But it equals good. Because if you understand why Samuel was an awesome transitional figure, is that Samuel, yes, he gets to bring Saul, and Saul stands a head taller than everybody else, and everybody would have thought he would be the best guy to replace what they used to have. But, of course, that's not what the Lord looks on. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 16. The Lord looks on the heart, and he looks at this one named David to become the king. And the beautiful thing, if you can see this, it brings us right to the Lord's table today is that the foundation of the monarchy was the very stepping stone for David to become King David so that there would be a son of David whom we all know as Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners. Samuel was displeased. But in the long run, God worked it together for good. You may be displeased. Talk to God about it. And he will show you how this works together for good, to lift up Christ, who is the salvation hope for all men, hence the table. If the elders would come, I'm going to close in prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray at this moment that you would speak to us in our displeasure. Lord, many of us have been struggling uh, with, the, with the political scene for, for months and months and months and months and months. Lord, the outcome to many is better than what we had expected, but to others, it seems to be the worst thing that could be. 
Lord, there is displeasure all around us. There is division and there is strife all around us. I pray that people who are in despair and displeasure would talk to you. Oh, Lord, I pray that we would all fall on our knees and see that the fruit of our praying is peace that passes understanding when our anxiety is no longer put higher than our faith. Let everything, let everything not be done with anxiety, but let our requests be made known unto God and that peace of God which passes earthly understanding will keep our hearts and minds. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the sweetness of this communion that is being offered to God's people. I pray that we would not have displeasure anymore because we're talking to you and King Jesus has already conquered our souls. Take away these anxieties, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As the elders come, I want to remind you that this is communion. Communion is a beautiful...